Chapter Nine, Part Two of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Nine, Part Two. Ivan Turgenev. When I made his acquaintance, he had been living since his removal from Baden-Baden, which took place in consequence of the Franco-Prussian War, in a large detached house on the hill of Montmartre, with his friends of many years, Madame Pauline Viardot and her husband, as his fellow-tenants. He occupied the upper floor, and I like to recall, for the sake of certain delightful talks, the aspect of his little green sitting-room, which has in memory the consecration of irrecoverable hours. It was almost entirely green, and the walls were not covered with paper, but draped in stuff. The portiers were green, and there was one of those immense divans, so indispensable to Russians, which had apparently been fashioned for the great person of the master, so that smaller folk had to lie upon it rather than sit. I remember the white light of the Paris street, which came in through windows more or less blinded in their lower part, like those of a studio. It rested, during the first years that I went to see Turgenev, upon several choice pictures of the modern French school, especially upon a very fine specimen of Theodore Rousseau, which he valued exceedingly. He had a great love of painting, and was an excellent critic of a picture. The last time I saw him, it was at his house in the country. He showed me half a dozen large copies of Italian works, made by a young Russian in whom he was interested which he had, with characteristic kindness, taken into his own apartments in order that he might bring them to the knowledge of his friends. He thought them as copies remarkable, and they were so, indeed, especially when one perceived that the original work of the artist had little value. Turgenev warmed to the work of praising them, as he was very apt to do, like all men of imagination, he had frequent and zealous admirations. As a matter of course, there was almost always some young Russian in whom he was interested, and refugees and pilgrims of both sexes were his natural clients. I have heard it said by persons who had known him long and well that these enthusiasms sometimes led him into error, that he was apt to cementer la tête, on behalf of his protégés. He was prone to believe that he had discovered the coming Russian genius. He talked about his discovery for a month, and then suddenly one heard no more of it. I remember his once telling me of a young woman who had come to see him on her return from America, where she had been studying obstetrics at some medical college and who, without means and without friends, was in want of help and of work. He accidentally learned that she had written something, and asked her to let him see it. She sent it to him, and it proved to be a tale in which certain phases of rural life were described with striking truthfulness. He perceived in the young lady a great natural talent. He sent her story off to Russia to be printed with the conviction that it would make a great impression, and he expressed the hope of being able to introduce her to French readers. 
When I mentioned this to an old friend of Turgenev, he smiled, and said that we should not hear of her again, that Ivan Sergoyitch had already discovered a great many surprising talents, which, as a general thing, had not borne the test. There was apparently some truth in this, and Turgenev's liability to be deceived was too generous a weakness for me to hesitate to allude to it even after i have insisted on the usual certainty of his taste he was deeply interested in his young russians they were what interested him most in the world they were almost always unhappy in want and in rebellion against an order of things which he himself detested the study of the russian character absorbed and fascinated him as all readers of his stories know rich unformed undeveloped with all sorts of adumbrations of qualities in a state of fusion it stretched itself out as a mysterious expanse in which it was impossible as yet to perceive the relation between gifts and weaknesses of its weaknesses he was keenly conscious and i once heard him express himself with an energy that did him honour and a frankness that even surprised me considering that it was of his countrymen that he spoke in regard to a weakness which he deemed the greatest of all a weakness for which a man whose love of veracity was his strongest feeling would have least toleration his young compatriots seeking their fortune in foreign lands touched his imagination and his pity and it is easy to conceive that under the circumstances the impression they often made upon him may have had great intensity the parisian background with its brilliant sameness its absence of surprises for those who have known it long threw them into relief and made him see them as he saw the figures in his tales in relations in situations which brought them out there passed before him in the course of time many wonderful russian types he told me once of his having been visited by a religious sect the sect consisted of but two persons one of whom was the object of worship and the other the worshipper the divinity apparently was travelling about europe in company with his prophet they were intensely serious but it was very handy as the term is for each the god had always his altar and the altar had unlike some altars always its god in his little green salon nothing was out of place there were none of the odds and ends of the usual man of letters which indeed turgenev was not and the case was the same in his library at bougival of which i shall presently speak few books even were visible it was as if everything had been put away the traces of work had been carefully removed an air of great comfort an immeasurable divan and several valuable pictures that was the effect of the place i know not exactly at what hours turgenev did his work i think he had no regular times and seasons being in this respect as different as possible from anthony trollope whose autobiography with its candid revelation of intellectual economies is so curious 
it is my impression that in paris turgenev wrote little his times of production being rather those weeks of the summer that he spent at bougival and the period of that visit to russia which he supposed himself to make every year i say supposed himself because it was impossible to see much of him without discovering that he was a man of delays as on the part of some other russians whom i have known there was something asiatic in his faculty of procrastination but even if one suffered from it a little one thought of it with kindness as a part of his general mildness and want of rigidity he went to russia at any rate at intervals not infrequent and he spoke of these visits as his best time for production he had an estate far in the interior and here amid the stillness of the country and the scenes and figures which give such a charm to the memoirs of a sportsman he drove his pen without interruption it is not out of place to allude to the fact that he possessed considerable fortune this is too important in the life of a man of letters it had been of great value to turgenev and i think that much of the fine quality of his work is owing to it he could write according to his taste and his mood he was never pressed nor checked putting the russian censorship aside by considerations foreign to his plan and never was in danger of becoming a hack indeed taking into consideration the absence of a pecuniary spur and that complicated indolence from which he was not exempt his industry is surprising for his tales are a long list in paris at all events he was always open to proposals for the midday breakfast he liked to breakfast au cabaret and freely consented to an appointment it is not unkind to add that at first he never kept it i may mention without reserve this idiosyncrasy of turgenev's because in the first place it was so inveterate as to be very amusing it amused not only his friends but himself and in the second he was as sure to come in the end as he was sure not to come in the beginning after the appointment had been made or the invitation accepted when the occasion was at hand there arrived a note or a telegram in which ivan sergyuitch excused himself and begged that the meeting might be deferred to another date which he usually himself proposed for this second date still another was sometimes substituted but if i remember no appointment that he exactly kept i remember none that he completely missed his friends waited for him frequently but they never lost him he was very fond of that wonderful parisian dejeuner fond of it i mean as a feast of reason he was extremely temperate and often ate no breakfast at all but he found it a good hour for talk and little on general grounds as one might be prepared to agree with him if he was at the table one was speedily convinced i call it wonderful the dejeuner of paris on account of the assurance with which it plants itself in the very middle of the morning 
it divides the day between rising and dinner so unequally and opposes such barriers of repletion to any prospect of ulterior labors that the unacclimated stranger wonders when the fertile french people do their work not the least wonderful part of it is that the stranger himself likes it at last and manages to piece together his day with the shattered fragments that survive it was not at any rate when one had the good fortune to breakfast at twelve o'clock with turgenieff that one was struck with its being an inconvenient hour any hour was convenient for meeting a human being who conformed so completely to one's idea of the best that human nature is capable of there are places in paris which i can think of only in relation to some occasion on which he was present and when i pass them the particular things i heard him say there come back to me there is a cafe in the avenue de l'opera a new sumptuous establishment with very deep settees on the right as you leave the boulevard where i once had a talk with him over an order singularly moderate which was prolonged far into the afternoon and in the course of which he was extraordinarily suggestive and interesting so that my memory now reverts affectionately to all the circumstances it evokes the grey damp of a parisian december which made the dark interior of the cafe look more and more rich and hospitable while the light faded the lamps were lit the habitues came in to drink absinthe and play their afternoon game of dominoes and we still lingered over our morning meal Turgenev talked almost exclusively about Russia, the Nihilists, the remarkable figures that came to light among them, the curious visits he received, the dark prospects of his native land. When he was in the vein, no man could speak more to the imagination of his auditor. For myself, at least at such times, there was something extraordinarily vivifying and stimulating in his talk and i always left him in a state of intimate excitement with a feeling that all sorts of valuable things had been suggested to me the condition in which a man swings his cane as he walks leaps lightly over gutters and then stops for no reason at all to look with an air of being struck into a shop window where he sees nothing I remember another symposium at a restaurant on one of the corners of the little place in front of the Opera Comique, where we were four, including Ivan Sergeyevich, and the two other guests were also Russian, one of them uniting to the charm of this nationality the merit of a sex that makes the combination irresistible the establishment had been a discovery of turgenieff's a discovery at least as far as our particular needs were concerned and i remember that we heartily congratulated him on it the dinner in a low entresol was not what it had been intended to be but the talk was better even than our expectations it was not about nihilism but about some more agreeable features of life and I have no recollection of Turgenev in a mood more spontaneous and charming. One of our friends had, when he spoke French, a peculiar way of sounding the word adorable, 
which was frequently on his lips, and I remember well his expressive prolongation of the A, when, in speaking of the occasion afterwards, he applied this term to Ivan Sergeyevich. I scarcely know, however, why I should drop into the detail of such reminiscences, and my excuse is but the desire that we all have, when a human relationship is closed, to save a little of it from the past, to make a mark which may stand for some of the happy moments of it. Nothing that Turgenev had to say could be more interesting than his talk about his own work, his manner of writing. What I have heard him tell of these things was worthy of the beautiful results he produced, of the deep purpose pervading them all to show us life itself. The germ of a story with him was never an affair of plot. That was the last thing he thought of. It was the representation of certain persons. The first form in which a tale appeared to him was as the figure of an individual, or a combination of individuals, whom he wished to see in action, being sure that such people must do something very special and interesting. They stood before him, definite, vivid, and he wished to know and to show as much as possible of their nature. The first thing was to make clear to himself what he did know, to begin with, and to this end he wrote out a sort of biography of each of his characters, and everything that they had done and that had happened to them up to the opening of the story. He had their dossier, as the French say, and as the police has of that of every conspicuous criminal. With this material in his hand he was able to proceed. The story all lay in the question, what shall I make them do? He always made them do things that showed them completely, but, as he said, the defect of his manner and the reproach that was made him was his want of architecture, in other words, of composition. The great thing, of course, is to have architecture as well as precious material, as Walter Scott had them, as Balzac had them. If one reads Turgenev's stories with the knowledge that they were composed, or rather that they came into being in this way, one can trace the process in every line. Story, in the conventional sense of the word, a fable constructed, like Wordsworth's phantom, to startle and waylay, there is as little as possible. The thing consists of the motions of a group of selected creatures, which are not the result of a preconceived action, but a consequence of the qualities of the actors. Works of art are produced from every possible point of view, and stories, and very good ones, will continue to be written in which the evolution is that of a dance, a series of steps the more complicated and lively the better, of course, determined from without, and forming a figure. This figure will always probably find favor with many readers, because it reminds them enough without reminding them too much of life. On this opposition many young talents in France are ready to rend each other, for there is a numerous school on either side. 
we have not yet in england and america arrived at the point of treating such questions with passion for we have not yet arrived at the point of feeling them intensely or indeed for that matter of understanding them very well it is not open to us as yet to discuss whether a novel had better be an excision from life or a structure built up of picture cards for we have not made up our mind as to whether life in general may be described there is evidence of a good deal of shyness on this point a tendency rather to put up fences than to jump over them among us therefore even a certain ridicule attaches to the consideration of such alternatives but individuals may feel their way and perhaps even pass unchallenged if they remark that for them the manner in which turgenieff worked will always seem the most fruitful it has the immense recommendation that in relation to any human occurrence it begins as it were further back it lies in its power to tell us the most about men and women of course it will but slenderly satisfy those numerous readers among whom the answer to this would be hang it we don't care a straw about men and women we want a good story and yet after all elena is a good story and lisa and virgin soil are good stories reading over lately several of turgenieff's novels and tales i was struck afresh with their combination of beauty and reality one must never forget in speaking of him that he was both an observer and a poet the poetic element was constant and it had great strangeness and power it inspired most of the short things that he wrote during the last few years of his life since the publication of virgin soil things that are in the highest degree fanciful and exotic it pervades the frequent little reveries visions epigrams of the senilia it was no part of my intention here to criticize his writings having said my say about them so far as possible some years ago but i may mention that in re-reading them i find in them all that i formerly found of two other elements their richness and their sadness they give one the impression of life itself and not of an arrangement a rechauffe of life i remember turgenieff's once saying in regard to homais the little norman country apothecary with his pedantry of enlightened opinions in madame bovary that the great strength of such a portrait consisted in its being at once an individual of the most concrete sort and a type this is the great strength of his own representations of character they are so strangely fascinatingly particular and yet they are so recognizably general such a remark as that about homais makes me wonder why it was that turgenieff should have rated dickens so high the weakness of dickens being in regard to just that point if dickens fail to live long it will be because his figures are particular without being general because they are individuals without being types because we do not feel their continuity with the rest of humanity 
see the matching of the pattern with the piece out of which all the creations of the novelist and the dramatist are cut i often meant but accidentally neglected to put turgenieff on the subject of dickens again and ask him to explain his opinion i suspect that his opinion was in a large measure merely that dickens diverted him as well he might that complexity of the pattern was in itself fascinating i have mentioned flaubert and i will return to him simply to say that there was something very touching in the nature of the friendship that united these two men it is much to the honor of flaubert to my sense that he appreciated ivan turgenieff there was a partial similarity between them both were large massive men though the russian reached to a greater height than the norman both were completely honest and sincere and both had the pessimistic element in their composition each had a tender regard for the other and i think that i am neither incorrect nor indiscreet in saying that on turgenieff's part this regard had in it a strain of compassion there was something in gustave flaubert that appealed to such a feeling he had failed on the whole more than he had succeeded, and the great machinery of erudition, the great polishing process which he brought to bear upon his productions, was not accompanied with proportionate results. He had talent without having cleverness, and imagination without having fancy. His effort was heroic, but except in the case of Madame Bovary, a masterpiece, he imparted something to his works. It was as if he had covered them with metallic plates, which made them sink rather than sail. He had a passion for perfection of form, and for a certain splendid suggestiveness of style. He wished to produce perfect phrases, perfectly interrelated, and as closely woven together as a suit of chain mail. He looked at life altogether as an artist, and took his work with a seriousness that never belied itself. To write an admirable page, and his idea of what constituted an admirable page was transcendent, seemed to him something to live for he tried it again and again and he came very near it more than once he touched it for madame bovary surely will live but there was something ungenerous in his genius he was cold and he would have given everything he had to be able to glow there is nothing in his novels like the passion of elena for insarov like the purity of lisa like the anguish of the parents of bazarov like the hidden wound of Tatiana, and yet Flaubert yearned, with all the accumulations of his vocabulary, to touch the chord of pathos. There were some parts of his mind that did not give, that did not render a sound. He had had too much of some sorts of experience, and not enough of others. And yet this failure of an organ, as I may call it, inspired those who knew him with a kindness if flaubert was powerful and limited there was something human after all and even rather august in a strong man who has not been able completely to express himself 
After the first year of my acquaintance with Turgenev, I saw him much less often. I was seldom in Paris, and sometimes when I was there he was absent. But I neglected no opportunity of seeing him, and fortune frequently assisted me. He came two or three times to London, for visits provokingly brief. He went to shoot in Cambridgeshire, and he passed through town in arriving and departing. He liked the English, but I am not sure that he liked London, where he had passed a lugubrious winter in 1870 to 1871. I remember some of his impressions of that period, especially a visit that he paid to a bishopess surrounded by her daughters, and a description of the cookery at the lodgings which he occupied. After 1876 I frequently saw him as an invalid. He was tormented by gout, and sometimes terribly besieged. But his account of what he suffered was as charming, I can apply no other word to it, as his description of everything else. He had so the habit of observation, that he perceived in excruciating sensations all sorts of curious images and analogies, and analyzed them to an extraordinary fineness. Several times I found him at Bougival, above the Seine, in a very spacious and handsome chalet, a little unsunned, it is true, which he had built alongside of the villa, occupied by the family to which for years his life had been devoted. The place is delightful. The two houses are midway up a long slope, which descends with the softest inclination to the river and behind them the hill rises to a wooded crest. On the left, in the distance, high up and above a horizon of woods, stretches the romantic aqueduct of Marley. It is a very pretty domain. The last time I saw him, in November 1882, it was at Bougival. He had been very ill, with strange and tolerable symptoms, but he was better, and he had good hopes. They were not justified by the event. He got worse again, and the months that followed were cruel. His beautiful serene mind should not have been darkened and made acquaintance with violence. It should have been able to the last to take part, as it had always done, in the decrees and mysteries of fate. At the moment I saw him, however, he was, as they say in London, in very good form, and my last impression of him was almost bright. He was to drive into Paris, not being able to bear the railway, and he gave me a seat in the carriage. For an hour and a half he constantly talked, and never better. When we got into the city I alighted on the boulevard exterieur as we were to go in different directions. I bade him good-bye at the carriage window, and never saw him again. There was a kind of fair going on nearby in the chill November air, beneath the denuded little trees of the boulevard, and a punch-and-judy show from which nasal sounds proceeded. I almost regret having accidentally to mix up so much of Paris with this perhaps too complacent enumeration of occasions for the effect of it may be to suggest that Ivan Turgenev had been gallicized. But this was not the case. The French capital was an accident for him, not a necessity. 
it touched him at many points but it left him alone at many others and he had with that great tradition of ventilation of the russian mind windows open into distances which stretched far beyond the banlieue i have spoken of him from the limited point of view of my own acquaintance with him and unfortunately left myself little space to allude to a matter which filled his existence a good deal more than the consideration of how a story should be written his hopes and fears on behalf of his native land he wrote fictions and dramas but the great drama of his life was the struggle for a better state of things in russia in this drama he played a distinguished part and the splendid obsequies that simple and modest as he was have unfolded themselves over his grave sufficiently attest the recognition of it by his countrymen his funeral restricted and officialized was none the less a magnificent manifestation i have read the accounts of it however with a kind of chill a feeling in which assent to the honours paid him bore less part than it ought all this pomp and ceremony seemed to lift him out of the range of familiar recollection of valued reciprocity into the majestic position of a national glory and yet it is in the presence of this obstacle to social contact that those who knew and loved him must address their farewell to him now after all it is difficult to see how the obstacle can be removed he was the most generous the most tender the most delightful of men his large nature overflowed with the love of justice but he also was of the stuff of which glories are made eighteen eighty four end of chapter nine part two Ivan Turgenev